Activities certainly expanded. You know, it's very widely published in the news that, you know, uh, when I was charged, I was charged with, you know, accessing LexisNexis's network, uh, accessing T-Mobile stuff and various other companies. So, yeah, we branched out. Um, I will, um, I, I couldn't exactly tell you like what caused that. I think it was more like probably like growing up. So, you know, look at this, right? I'm a, I'm age 15, you know, I'm a teenager cell phones are out but you know new cell phones are coming out like the t-mobile sidekick for instance which i know a lot of people remember which is like the first cell phone that was kind of like you know had aol and some messenger on it you could access the internet and stuff full keyboard and it had, it, it, like it flipped around it was a super sweet phone yeah that was that was dope i was i was so happy to get one of those but i think it, you know part of growing up it was like uh you know i wanted a cell phone like a cell phone was out i you know and i'm going to school i'm in high school at the time you know what and, you know, the AOL stuff, I was, I loved being online. I love being in the, the cyber world and doing these things. So, you know, to get a cell phone, for instance, and, you know, be connected to the web while I'm in class, I thought that was cool. I'm like, oh man, I got to talk to my hacker friends while I'm in school doing work. So yeah. So, you know, cell phones obviously became a thing. You know, I, I wanted one and we all wanted one. So 2004, you know, the, so the fast forward to like the end of the year, go to like November, December. My dad asked me what I wanted for Christmas, and I had seen a commercial for the T-Mobile Sidekick, and you know it was like three, four hundred dollars. We didn't have a lot of money growing up, so it was a big thing for me to ask, but I did. And um, long story short, I, my dad got me the T-Mobile Sidekick for Christmas, so December '04. So, although I, I'm going to use December because I you know I, I remember this time. It was like I, I just remember it because of like getting that phone and like what I was do, doing around then. The, the carding ramped up a lot. Uh, like I got this T-Mobile sidekick. And uh, so like I just mentioned, I wanted to, you know, text my friends and use AOL and instant messenger from class, but not all of my friends had these phones. So I would go online and I carded sidekicks. I carded like five of them. I gave them out to like my closest friends and we carded some SIM cards. So we're, we're, we're carding these things. We have phones and SIM cards, but we, you know, we don't have a way to pay for it. You know, we're thinking like, well, you can't like just use a credit card and turn it on. You got to go in the store and they got to activate it. So we're thinking like, well, how the hell are we going to do that? So, you know, we're on these conferences and bing, you know, okay, T-Mobile sidekick, let's just social engineer T-Mobile. So um, it's pretty obvious what we had to do. We just kind of, you know, just stick into the, this, this was me. I should say I a lot more than we, but you know, we're on a conference, you know, together we're all friends, you know, that's, I guess the way I'm speaking here, but uh, I called up a T-Mobile store. I called one in California because we would tech, I'm in Massachusetts. Eastern Standard Time. My dad, I obviously had gotten raided. He was a little, you know, skeptical on what I was doing, wanted to make sure I was in bed. So very frequently, I would wake up really late when everybody's sleeping, you know, get on the conference call, and that's when we would kind of like screw around. So it's late, you know, 10, 10 o'clock at night. All the T Mobile stores are closed. So that's why we look up one in California. Um, Look up the number, call him, social engineer, and basically we called and said, hey, uh, this is John from T-Mobile Corporate over in Bellevue, Washington. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm doing good. So we just hit him with the same AOL script. Like, we understand it. There was some issues when you were activating accounts today. Do you have any issues with your tools? And he said, no. So we're going in blind because with AOL, we kind of knew a lot because there's a lot of people in the scene. But T-Mobile, we didn't know anything. 
So it, the first call was basically me asking him, so what's what's the name of your tools that you guys are doing right now? I mean, I know they upgrade him certain places. What's the tools? The guy tells me, oh, it's called, uh, we have iCam. I said, you activate phones with the iCam? He said, no, we, we use Watson for uh, activation. I said, okay. Pretty much, I got a little bit of the info, and I just told him, okay, I, you know, I think this might have been a mistake. There's no issue, so we hang up. Look up another store, call them. Now we know they use iCam and Watson. So we hit them with the, hey, we're, we, you know, we're calling from uh, T-Mobile Corporate in Bellevue, Washington. Uh, we got a report that you're having issues activating customer cell phones with Watson. Oh, no, I, I haven't had any issues with that. Oh, okay, well, um, we just want to verify that the system's okay. Um, just, you know, we don't want a customer to come in there and you can't activate the phone, then you got them hung up. You know, they'll be waiting in line, you know, and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand. What do you need? Could you just give us, uh, what's the username that you log in with? Gave us his username. <laughs> Asked for his password. The guy says, there is no password. What? So I said, well, you know, when you go to the login screen, it asks for a username and password. Now, we've already got this info. We got it when the, I asked him on the prior call with the URLs. We had it. I went to it, saw the sign-in screen. I said, well, you need a username and password, though. So what are you typing in for the password? He said, it's the same thing. I'm like, oh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Okay, yeah. The username is the password. I apologize for that. Yeah, I'm just. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was, that was, that was kind of funny because. Later on, when we're like, when like we'd activate certain amount of phones, you know, the password would get changed. You know, it would, they would it would shut the account off or whatever. So it became very easy to get new um, customer service reps logins because we didn't want to ask for the password. We just say, "What's your username?" People want to give the username out very easily compared to a password. I will say, I don't believe we ever had a time when we three-way T-Mobile and they said no. I believe like. Every time we had called them, it was just, but it wasn't much, you know, we just needed a couple usernames and we were fine. So didn't take much, but, um, so like I said, I you know, carded these phones, carded these SIM cards, and now I'm active. I'm just looking at people on whitepages.com and we're just like typing in random names and we're activating these phones into those people. So now like all of my buddies and stuff, we're, we're, we're all online at school texting each other in class. And so it was, um, that's that, the whole thing about the cell phone drama, you know, and credit card fraud. And now, you know, like now you're looking at like wire fraud charges. You're not just like computer fraud. This is wire fraud. You know, you're you're dealing with cell phones and stuff. Not good. Later on, that actually became a charge for I was actually charged with uh, activating cell phones for my friends. I had like two counts of it. So this is December ish, January ish. You know, now my friends are online again. Public public record. I was watching TV one day and I saw Paris Hilton doing cell phone commercial for t-mobile of course the phone was a t-mobile sidekick too it was like a special edition with all these diamonds on it and right away i go over to my computer i'm like man i wonder if she's really got an account you know i sign into iCam. i go over to the search screen i type in paris hilton click on execute search it was this little it was a java applet you know, a little gear spins when you click it and um it said one subscriber found paris w hilton in burbank california and i just said oh, oh shit this is under her name? No way. <laughs> so, all right. So th this is kind of funky, right? So this is just random, right? I, I look her up and it's like, whatever. So it's almost at the point, like, well, what are you going to do with that? You know, you're just, you just have her address, her email, phone number. It's, it's not much. So I had found an exploit within T-Mobile's website. Might be a little hard to follow. I'm going to do my best to explain how this worked for anybody that's kind of like technical or just curious or whatever. So Assume you have, you just got a brand new T-Mobile, T-Mobile sidekick, right? You, um, you open it up, install, get all your apps on, whatever you want to do. So, you know, you want to pay your bill from the phone. You want to, you know, check your minutes. You want to do all that stuff. So 
you go to my.tmobile.com and you obviously create a you create an online account. So I had this phone myself. I had noticed that when you opened up the my.tmobile site on this T-Mobile sidekick, you would put in your you would type in your phone number and the very next screen would bring you to select a password. I thought that was weird because okay, all I did was go to the site, type a number in, and then I'm at a password screen. I'm like, okay, where's the verification here? So I went on my computer and I, I went to my.tmobile, did the same thing, put a T-Mobile number in, but it brings me to a, a we just texted you a four-digit code. So I'm like, all right, so why is my computer wanting a four-digit code that's texted, but the device doesn't? So I'm curious. I want to know what's going on. I run a web server on my computer. I pick up my phone. I type in the IP address of the web server, and I capture the HTTP headers. Anyone that's looked at that, they know, you know, when you go to a site, it shows the operating system in your browser. So there, there was basically something in it that said, like, this is a danger hip top, basically saying it's a sidekick device. Like the user agent? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So basically just that user agent, when you would send that to the T-Mobile site, it would skip over the four digit. We want to text to a four digit code. So for, for anybody, anybody could just put that header in and you could set a password. Yes. Now, it was only for people that did not register for the service, though. So if you already registered, it would tell you, you know, you already have an account and kick you back to the login screen. So Paris did not. This is contrary to some articles out there. People said that I guessed her password and I reset it. I didn't do neither of those. She did not have an account. So I actually I made it was a visual basic program that I made. Basically, you put the phone number in the text box, you click the button and you basically could register and make the password. Made it a lot simple for myself. So. Yeah, I, I signed her up. I put a number in, I created a password, and um, I signed into her my T-Mobile. And for anybody that has a, a T-Mobile sidekick device, it was very similar to iCloud where you could look at your personal information like your calendar and notes and photos. So all that stuff's on there. I signed in there. I Again, I have a sidekick, so I'm a little bit familiar with this. So I'm kind of like, all right, I know what I want to look at. I go in there, I see her photos see her calendar and all that stuff. And yeah, the, the photos is kind of what got me like right away. Uh, <laughs> stop, me if, stop me if you got any questions too. I'm talking a lot here. So I, I'm in, um, I'm logged into her account. I click on photos and right away, it's all like topless photos. There's one of her uh, picture, her topless kissing another girl, pictures of her dog and all this stuff. And I, I was sitting at the computer and I stood up and I said, what the heck? I, I ran into the other room and I went to get my little brother. I'm like, hey, come over here. You, you got to see this stuff. So we're going we're going back to the laptop. I'm like, dude, this is Paris Hilton's phone, dude. I'm inside the phone. He's looking at it and he's like, dude, what the heck? Like, it, So we're all like hysterical about this. I'm at the dining room table. I think my dad was out for the evening at a restaurant or something. I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. So um, with uh, all that hacker friends I have, I'm you know, texting them. Well, I say texting, but it's really instant messaging. I'm, you know, starting to tell them, like, yo, dude, look, look what I got. I tell them real close people. I, I mean, I didn't spam it, but, uh, <laughs> so basically like my friend, Zach, his handle was majestic. He helped me set up a website to actually like put the, put her information up there. Why? But why? I'm curious. Why, why do that? It was for like, for real, honestly. And it's, it's embarrassing to say, because it's like something that I, I deeply do regret, like looking back at it, like, you know, it's, getting into the account exploiting it it's exciting but the actual like you know like doing that to somebody it's uh I, I i do genuinely feel bad but the the reason 
you know, based on everything I've learned about myself over the years and just, you know, growing up and stuff, I did it for the rush. I, I wanted to be, uh, you know, wanted to be important. Um, this was, uh, I remember when it, um, when we published it on the website, we sent it out to everyone, you know, we're, we're search, using search engines to see like how many press are picking it up. And we have a hit counter on the website. I think after a day, that thing went to like, I don't even say, I don't even want to say a day. I think less than a day, man, that thing hit like 900,000. And we're like, yo, this is going to be bad. This is going to be everywhere. So we're watching the news. I, I don't recall where I saw it, but it came across my TV screen and I'm just sitting there like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, wow. I'm famous. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh. In short, it was, it was uh, for like an adrenaline rush, like uh, maybe the, the accomplishment feeling, you know, kind of like, wow, I did something, uh, you know, it's kind of felt, I guess, like an elevated sense or something like that. Yeah. Right. I, I understand. That makes sense. So I'm going to get a little bit nerdy here. Nah, go ahead, man. But how how did your web server handle that many hits? Were you running like a cache on it, or do you have a CDN? Or so that this this server that that was hosting the Paris stuff, my friend Zach was really like heavy into bots. Like while while we're all doing the AOL stuff, he was really heavy into um like spamming and and things like that. He's uh he had this big thing going where. You know, he he had these bots spreading. Say he has like ten thousand bots. I had this company was paying him like fifty dollars for every computer he could get some spyware installed on it. So this guy's downloading this shit and making a ton of money. Anyway, I'm going way off topic here, I think. But uh, so he he's got all these bots. He's key logging them all the time, and he key logged some dude logging into um this web server in Korea. Actually, I I want to see if it's actually still valid. Let me see sunroad.pe.kr. It's it's like engraved in my head. Yeah, the the actual website is still up. That's funny. So whatever website this is, it still exists. That I guess he uh, stole their login credentials too. <laughs> um, so it was a Korean website. Uh, the reason that we actually picked Korea is because it was foreign. Uh, we didn't want to put it on a USA site because we're thinking like, well, this is going to get a lot of traffic. It's probably going to get pulled down really fast. So the Korean site, we're thinking, ah, it's foreign. It, you know, it's way out in the Pacific or whatever. So that's why. Uh, I mean, we didn't buy the web server. It was just stolen. Someone's real website. So then the forensic trail for this, they, they, I doubt they went to Korea and asked for the web server logs, right? I, they, I, assume, I assume they looked at T-Mobile, right? Like like who, who modified the account? And and then the... So the authentication went to ICAM. From, was this from your home IP again? No, I don't believe I was. What I, So when I was accessing T-Mobile stuff, I had, um, I was using, I was using Wi-Fi because back, back in like 2002, three and four, like people had Wi-Fi with no password on them. So, and I had a, I had, you know, obviously a fancy little antenna that I put in my window and uh, I could kind of like reach people's stuff that was up the street. So I'm using Wi-Fi's of my neighbor. And I also had, um, a 2G T-Mobile edge card, 2G. Oh man. I thought that was so cool back then. <laughs> Boy, was it slow. It was like dial up. Wow, that must be really slow. <laughs> yeah, wicked slow. The, the the edge card was pretty cool though because I mean it worked anywhere. Yeah, although it was slow, you know, it worked anywhere, and I could just I had access to T-Mobile, so I would do the same thing with the phones. Pop in a SIM card, just activate it, and then whenever it gets shut off, you know, just do it again. So yeah, at, the, at this point, you know, I've been rated for AOL. Uh, I'm trying to be a little cleaner, but it obviously uh, it it didn't work. I I didn't know enough back then. I was still making too many mistakes, too many. Like here's something interesting. Uh, so when I had actually when when I had hacked Paris's phone, I, I used a Wi-Fi out. I, I should be good for liability purposes. So I I used the Wi-Fi of my neighbor that was up the street, 
And so they, they raided me. They, they raided my house. This is now, now we're in like 2005. Jeez, I was going to try to give you the date. I, I think it was, uh, I don't know, man. I, I thought it was May. I believe it was May of 2005 when I got raided. But so I get raided in May and they asked me about Paris and I denied it. I said I knew nothing about it. I, I was very evasive. That's the way it was said in the interview that Mr. LeCur was evasive when asked about Paris Hilton. I said nothing. I said, I don't know. I had no idea. I heard about it, but it's not me. And it was like like two days later, I recall looking out my window and there were like maybe like, I don't know, four to six of those big black suburbans or those expeditions all in front of the house where I believe the Wi-Fi was at. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I apologize to whoever that person was, but they obviously got raided because I used their Wi-Fi. <laughs> Jeez. So then how did they link it? Like, it was like your Mac address or something? So here's, here's, this is God's honest truth from court papers. I mean, so when I got raided for the AOL thing, there are already wiretaps. Uh, the FBI had already uh, got court ordered wiretaps on my AOL instant messenger account. Even after I was switching screen names, they kept, they were wiretapping me. And that, that, that's the thing is I always use a screen name where everybody could find me. AOL was monitoring my stuff along with the FBI. And when I had hacked Paris's phone, I was communicating with other hackers. I was telling them like, yo, I just got Paris's photos. Like, yo, check these out. So here I am bragging about the stuff. And it's, and you know, this is all going into the records, getting fed right to the feds. So it was like everything that I was doing, man, it was kind of just like building up. Like, right. Uh, so the FBI, they used a program called Carnivore at the time. And it was this, it was it was essentially packet capture, and they could scope they could scope it to an IP address. They probably scoped the carnivore program and, and capture all the packets from from your home IP. I should. There's something else I wanted to mention too. So, um, in the search warrant for the 2005 raid, there was a paragraph in there where they were talking about there were representatives from T-Mobile had flown out from Washington and they were outside of my house on numerous occasions intercepting that 2G Edge card. And there was like one time where they like lively like had me like at this time he signed into the iCam system and we observed him connect to the IP from the edge card. Wow. Yeah, I was I, there was really no way out of it. I mean, even I mean, there were guys outside of my house. I didn't even know it. Like <laughs> that, that's crazy. Yeah. That, that reminds me, I think like local police can put something, they, 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 they basically put like a net. It's kind of like a virtual net, right? But they have something like in the air. And it intercepts all cellular communication for like a certain number of blocks. And everyone's cell phone gets really slow, but they intercept it all and they all proxy it through. It kind of reminds me of something like that. <laughs> it's 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 so scary, man. I mean, and that was 2004. I almost think like, geez, you know, what do they do these days? It's <laughs> I never imagined it back then. If you run into Snowden docs and like Prism and stuff, they they, they intercept it and hijack communication. So Oh my god, yeah. That that's um that's that's crazy, man. That that is very very scary. I, before the Snowden stuff, I would have never imagined that that was going on. Yeah, it's pretty creative too. Yeah, yeah. So once you get arrested, um, based on the chat logs and stuff, um, what what happens? Is there is there like is there a plea deal or something, or or, or how does it go? Yeah, yeah. So um, I got raided in May of two thousand and five. Um, I recall one of the, so I was raided that time by Secret Service, FBI, and there were also two local police agents, uh, sorry, police officers there. One of the agents said to me very directly, he's like, 
Cameron, you are going to be prosecuted. Like you need to like use your head. You are most likely going to jail for this. And I, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm it's saying this to a 16 year old kid. Like I didn't really even know what he was talking about. I'm like, yeah, right. Been here twice before, man. I'm still out. Um, so undeterred, you know, the same thing happened like before. I, you know, went to a friend's house, got another laptop, went right back online. Um, I don't believe I was kind of, I was messing around with AOL. Like at that point, I think it was more like just talking to people. And I don't know, because of my, my time was very, very limited. I mean, this was May and I, w- I went to court like, uh, I think it was like July 6th. So you got like two months when I'm, while I'm out before I'm actually in a cell. So, I mean, th- this is how, how bad I was though. I mean, I'll, this is, here's, here's a side story too. So I get raided in May. I'm still talking to associates. We're going on teleconferences late. Um, I'm participating in social engineering, you know, people calling out. I'm I'm doing shit too. So one of my hacker friends, he he has a cell phone through this prepaid card company, a prepaid cell phone company rather. And he had already social engineered their logins. So and he basically had a free phone from them. So this this company, they find out that, you know, this phone is fraudulent and they shut they shut his phone off. So this is like, I think it's around like June 20th. Now, again, I went to court July 6th. So it's like June 20th, right? So we're on the teleconference. He he three ways the prepaid phone company. And I'm like, yo, I got this, dude. I got this. Let me talk to him. So rep comes on the phone. I, I say right away, I'm like, hey, you know, whatever. My name, my name's Mitchell Colin from Altel Wireless's main office. And I, you know, I said the same spiel and explained to him, you know, that there's a cell phone that was inadvertently shut off. We'd like to get the phone reactivated again. Sounds like he's with it. I give him the phone number. He says, wait a moment. He says, I have to put you on hold. I remember being placed on hold. We're all now the music's going in the background. We're all talking. We're like, damn, I don't know if I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he's going to do this. So. The supervisor comes on the line. I believe it was a woman, if I remember correctly. And she said that uh, this phone was in, engaged in fraudulent activities when we will not reactivate it. And I said, listen, you're going to reactivate it or I'm going to take down your entire system. She said, it can't be done. It can't be done. You don't know what you're talking about. You're not getting this phone turned on. I'm like, are you sure? I said, are you sure? She's like, we're not doing it. She didn't hang up on us. I think we just hung up. We're like, this ain't going to go anywhere. So I go over to IRC. I, you know, go into the, my friend's bot room. It's, it wasn't mine. It was my friend's bots. And I'm using it at this point. And uh, I, I DDoS the web server. I think it got hit with like 30,000 bots. You know, back then, I mean, that was pretty powerful. You know, there's not too much filtration you got back then. You don't got, there's a cloud, this cloud, that, you know, DDoS protection. Um, so the site drops. And it, actually, I should I should be more precise here. I didn't DDoS the actual their their website like Altel.com. We DDoS the site that the customer service people used, wham.altel.com. So that you know now that shit went down. Now nobody's getting help. So anyway, so s- some people's phone calls are being recorded. My call was being recorded. Basically, what happens at this point? This is like the end of June. My court date's coming up. And they got this call. Now, now the feds have a brand, another another crime, you know, altogether. Like, oh, geez, he's about to go to court. So, I should backtrack. Uh, I hate doing this, but uh, you know, I something, you know, I it's been many years. My actual court date was like June twenty eighth. I believe that's or June thirtieth. And what happened was I DDoS this website, and the court date ends up getting pushed back. My lawyer uh, 
calls my dad. He says something like, Hey, um, they're rescheduling his arraignment. Uh, gets, get pushed back to July 6th. He's, they said that they've got some new information and it's going to be like another, you know, whatever it's going to be held then. So I don't know. My dad tells me and I'm like, all right, what, what new information? I don't think it's that. Cause that just happened like two days ago. Yeah. So July 6th, I go with my grandparents, my dad, you know, I go up to the federal court in Boston, meet the lawyer, uh, go into the courtroom. Actually, before I went in the courtroom, I went to talk to probation pre-trial and uh, I did like a little intake with them. And um, I remember the guy is saying straight up, he's like, I don't think you're going to jail, man. I not At least not today. I think they're just going to give you a bracelet or something like that. I'm like, all right, well, that's kind of cool. At least like I'm going home, going to the courtroom, uh, you know, all rise. Judge comes out. Everybody stands up. We all be seated, sit down. U.S. attorney gets up there. Um, it's actually the same U.S. attorney that was involved with the whole Aaron Swartz thing. Um, you know, the, the guy that uh, from MIT that unfortunately, you know, he committed suicide. Same prosecutor. Uh guy got up there and made me sound like I was a murderer. He went up uh, just a murderer behind a keyboard almost, you know, that's how I felt. Uh, so he gets up, there's another U S attorney too. They take turns, you know, talking about me, uh, saying, um, that, uh, I'm undeterred that I basically keep going and that I've, my house has been raided three times in like a year and a half period and I haven't stopped. And it's the same thing. And they said that they received information from the Eastern district of Arkansas that, um, they were going to pursue charges because of a denial of service. And, so my family's in, you know, they're sitting behind me. They're all like, what the hell is this? Like, what what happened? So the judge asked um, what the evidence was, you know, that I had carried out this attack. And they played the tape of me threatening the supervisor saying that I'm going to take down everything. And <laughs> I tried to change my voice on, on the phone to sound like a girl. But I mean, I guess maybe it was pretty obvious it was me. I like I tried to like high, make my voice high pitched or something like that. But didn't take much. They played that thing. They said that. Uh, you know, I just committed another act that I knew I was going to court and I did something again. And what kind of like threw it overboard, like even with that, I think I would have just, I still would have got a bracelet. What, what actually got me locked up was, um, when I was raided for the AOL thing, when they, they came to my house in 2004, when I took the Ewoks encryption key, they were just like drilling me with questions. And I panicked out of nervousness. I said, um, oh, I'm gonna kill myself. And it, I, I wasn't serious about it. Not something I've ever thought about. You know, I, I would never do that. So they used that remark from the raid saying that I was suicidal and that I was going to hurt myself, even though this was like almost a year old. And, you know, it's clearly, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I'm telling you straight up. I mean, not suicidal, but uh, that that's what did it. They said I was a danger to myself. I was a danger to others. I was suicidal and I was uh, detained pending a cycle valve. Went right to jail. Man, didn't didn't think that was gonna happen, but that was uh yeah, that was um not a pleasant experience. So was it like juvie? Yeah, I mean, I was being held as a juvenile, but it, I was sent to an adult county jail that had this one unit that was segregated for like the most dangerous juveniles in Massachusetts. Like it was messed up. <laughs> so when you're there interacting with folks that are not they're not in there for like computer stuff, like how how'd that go? Um, I, I was only, I was detained for like 12 days and the best of my recollection is I, I recall like a lot of people, of course, asking me like what I did and I said computer hacking and some people didn't believe me, but I had the papers and I showed them and then it would go around like, oh, this kid's mad smart, man. Like, oh, he's a freaking hacker, blah, blah, blah. And I, I didn't have any issues. I didn't, 
I mean, I didn't have any fights or anything, but I will tell you that I was uh, deep down. I was definitely uncomfortable. I was afraid that all the people in there were primarily in for shootings, stabbings, and several of them told me murder, you know, for you know, killing people. And here I am. I, I'm like everybody, even the staff to a counselor there. Everybody said, like, I can't believe you're in here. Like, this doesn't make sense because like just the, the variance in crime severity like of course like what i did on the computer was bad but like uh, nobody was nobody was hurt now looking back of course it it was you know a dozen federal crimes of course it was significant i think i pro- i i deserved to be you know arrested and prosecuted and thrown in jail even that particular time but i just i don't think uh it was right to put me around people like that, though, just because, uh, granted, it was only 12 days before I was out on pretrial uh, release with a bracelet. But uh, had I be- been there for six months, I don't know. I don't know if I would have had fights or whatever, you know? Right. So, so you're in jail for a while. And then well, what's the process? Like, what, when do you, is it like a trial or like a plea deal or how does that work? Yeah, it, it was a plea deal. So I'm, I'm in the county jail for 12 days. Again, it's a juvenile unit. I get out. Um. So this is July 2005. Um, Wait, you get out because the psycho mal? And they say you're not suicidal? Or? Yeah, I, sh- I should have said that. Yeah. So uh, there was a, there was a woman that came to see me. Um, you know, the, the court had paid her or whatever. Um, she came to visit. You know, she talked to me, interviewed me. I used suicidal, and I explained a little bit about. I love life. Yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> it was um. I mean, I I don't think like I even really like buttered it up. I think I was just kind of honest. Like I I mean I. I obviously wasn't a violent person. I, you know, I wasn't on medication. I wasn't diagnosed with anything. I told her like, you know, when the agents came and I said, I'm gonna kill myself. It was more of like a defensive maneuver. Like I was kind of scared. I just back off. So she, she wrote a recommendation, which was filed with the court. And, um, yeah, I was brought back in and they released me saying, okay, he's not suicidal. Not without very strict, you know, restrictions though. Uh, no computers. Uh, I could not use any cell phones, I could only use a landline cell phone if I was uh, being supervised by my dad or you know somebody that had custody, like my grandparents. Um, how how that how that feel? Oh, it was, it was hell. It was tough. So I wasn't even allowed to live at my house. I, I was on bail, and uh, they said I could only go to my grandparents' house because they felt that I had uh, too many friends in the area where my where I lived at before, where uh, you know they could just bring me a computer and I would just do it again. So in a sense, your grandparents didn't have any technology. <laughs> No, no. I think my grandfather had a computer, but he had to take it out of the house or something like that. He had like he did have AOL and he had dial up. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he did take it out. Now that I think about it, he did take it out of the house. I think he gave it to my dad or something like that while I was just out there. But I couldn't go outside. I mean, I was on a bracelet. I could just go in the backyard. It wasn't like a GPS where I could kind of go out and be monitored. I, I was like home confinement or house arrest. So it was um, pretty tough. So, I mean, that's like, that's like withdrawal, right? I mean, I think I think I remember like, when I was making programs and stuff. I, I went to like the summer camp, mm-hmm. and it was like for a month, and it was like the worst month of my life because I had no computers for a month. I was like making programs in my head. I was like, I was going out of my mind. <laughs> yeah, total total detox, man. Of course, you know, I was happy to be free somewhat, but um, yeah, I think uh, to be completely transparent, I think if I did have uh somebody gave me a phone or a computer yeah absolutely i probably would have um engaged in something or reached out to some people and got myself in further trouble <laughs> yeah just kid stuff <laughs> i don't know how to say it <laughs> right so then once you 
secret your grandparents' house with the bracelet, and then went, and then what's the next step in it? So of course, you know, case is still pending. It's you know, it's got to get resolved. Um, my uh, I didn't do any direct talking with my lawyer because you know I didn't I couldn't use phones. So it was you know obviously my dad. I'm a juvenile. Um, at some point he came by and explained like, hey, uh, we got to go meet with the prosecutor in Boston. Uh, they gave me a date. I think it was like the end of July or, or early August, where um. I just remember going into the court and instead of going to the courtroom, went in an elevator, went up to some conference room, sitting in there and two two of the agents that had raided my house were in there and both of the U.S. attorneys were there. My grandparents were there. My dad was there. And um, I don't recall doing much talking at all except for just signing the plea agreement. But um, it was essentially uh, what they said was that there was a they found there was a juvenile detention center in Maine that had a rehabilitative program made for kids that, you know, they, they screw up multiple times and they wanted to ask the court that I get sent there because they felt it was more like a treatment facility versus jail. Although it was a definitely, it was, it, it was, I mean, I had a fence, you couldn't leave, you know? So it was 11, you know, the offer was 11 months and two years of supervised release. I signed the plea agreement. I have no idea what's in there. I don't, I don't, you know, I didn't understand any of it. I just was thinking about, damn, 11 months is a long time. And I recall my lawyer after the the meeting wasn't long, I think maybe, maybe like an hour or something like that. I I remember telling, talking to my lawyer about it rather and saying like, that's almost a year, man. He's like, listen to me, what you did, like you should be getting like five or six years. He's like, just, this is not something you want to, you know, argue about or refuse. Like I'm telling you just, so um, I'm like, well, I just I was in for 12 days. You know, I guess that's 11 months minus 12 days, 10 and a half months. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a very um, very nice deal. And you know, behind the scenes, what was explained to me is my grandmother talked to. So there were two U.S. attorneys. One of them was the one Stephen Hyman with the Aaron Swartz case. He's same guy. There was another one, uh, Seth Berman, which um. Wasn't in the news too much. I, I don't know if he was kind of newer at the time, but uh, Seth had gone to um, Steve Hyman and basically said, like, yo, th- this is a kid. Like, I don't think it's good to, you know, imprison him for a long time. Like, I think, you know, he could probably, you know, get treatment and maybe get help. And he convinced Steve Hyman, who's this like super strict U.S. attorney, to like say, okay. So I, I think Steve Hyman really wanted to like, destroy me in court like what he gave me everything he could have but this other u.s attorney had like a little bit of a heart and wanted to you know be more helpful than hurtful so uh yeah i take this deal i go in get sentenced they uh gave me a tentative date in september i think it was like september 8th i got sentenced and september 22nd when i turned myself in september 22nd you know it was a very very sad day i of course didn't want to go but had no choice. Uh, I remember probation coming to the coming to the house, cutting the bracelet off. As soon as he cut that bracelet, well, actually, I think he took it off. It was an older bracelet where they detached something and it pulls off. But he took it off. Whatever. I kind of felt like, wow, this is a good feeling. But you know, obviously, it wasn't a good feeling because within a couple hours, uh, yeah, I wasn't sleeping at a family member's house anymore. So uh, they took the bracelet off. I remember, you know, we all got in the car. Went my grandparents, my dad. Stopped at a restaurant along the way. Don't remember what I had. Probably a cheeseburger because I love them. And walked in the front door of the um, the detention center. Gave him my name and stuff. And 
they, they gave me a little bit of time. Like it was like an hour sitting in a lobby to just talk to my family and, you know, hug, say goodbyes and, you know, kind of basically that, you know, yeah, that, that was a very, very, um, tough day for me. It's, it was so saddening just to, you know, walk away from your family and like, you know, turn around and, you know, they're, they're not like walking out. They're just watching me walk through the door, through the door, like clinks open. And then it, you know, it shuts like it's a big steel door going. Once it was shut, I was just like, well, all right, I guess we'll get this started. You know, I just, this is a new chapter radio, right you know, to just go through it. Don't have a choice. So, so what do you do for 11 months when you're, when you're there? Like what, what, what is like your day to day? So it was uh, like, I, you know, I mentioned a juvenile facility. So it's a little different than County jail uh, in the sense where um, County jail, you're, I guess, not as supervised too much. Like in the juvenile, you always have a staff member with you. If you walk to medical, you got someone with you. So you're like heavily observed. But um, one of the things that I picked up in there was uh, weightlifting, going to the gym, you know, shooting hoops now and then. That was something that uh, I took very, very, very seriously. Um, started doing push-ups like on the regular. Got to a point where I was doing like a thousand every day. I wish I could still do that, but I can't. <laughs> was it was that to like buff yourself up in case you got in a fight or something, or, or just just because you wanted to like improve yourself? I look at it kind of like, well, yeah, it was it definitely. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not lying when I say it. it definitely to improve myself. You know, I I felt stronger. I felt like. Like, just like, you know, when you're beating, you're doing more pushups than, you know, the week prior, it's like, you know, you're building on something, you're developing. It's just, um, it is like, I don't know, it's good. And it's mentally rewarding too. I can't say that when I didn't exercise, I didn't feel good. Now, there's a little bit of a connection here. Um, kind of like if you're going into the computer stuff and hacking and challenging and learning and just being curious, you know, that that's an adrenaline rush. It's like a dopamine feeling and working out somewhat as as though it wasn't as intense as the computer stuff it's still kind of similar you know it was a rewarding feeling although I, I i never was i wasn't on medication for depression or anything back then but i i truly believe like looking back like in 2005 i was definitely depressed and i think that that exercising was more of like you know just kind of like um you know feel good and just you know, pastime, do something productive, something good, instead of just kind of sitting around watching TV like people, a lot of people did in there. As far as like other things that I did, though, I mean, it, it, of course, there was a lot of TV. There was watching movies. Um, They had like a boom box with headphones. Sometimes we just listen to the radio for like an hour, writing letters, use the phone. I actually only used the phone like twice a week. It wasn't much. But the, the, um, the program they had at this facility was, uh, it was, pre it was pretty good. I'll say it was um privilege based you know as you progress through the treatment program they gave you more privileges you could stay up later watch tv later and it gets to a point where you can actually go outside so once i was in there for like 6 or 7 months i was able to go outside of the facility and go like volunteer at a soup kitchen and do things like that so i mean a lot of it was programming too you know just taking the classes and such um wait they they let you back on a computer no no, I, I tried. I tried when I was in there, though. <laughs> we said programming. I thought you meant like computer programming. I, I, sorry, I meant like uh, basically like treatment, treatment programming, like classes and stuff. Oh. Uh, yeah, I should have said that because we're what we're talking about here. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I, I saw a lot of, I mean, crazy things in there. Again, you know, I'm the only one in the cell block or the uh, unit is what they call it, you know, that's in there for anything like that. You know, a lot of kids in there for fighting, violence, guns, drugs. So, yeah, it, it was it was crazy. I was, again, like, you know, putting in an environment with people that were a little, like, 
definitely a little different than I was. Saw a lot of fights. Uh, like I, I hadn't seen like fights like that, like prior to going to jail, like never. So seeing like a kid get beat up by three other kids was something like, whoa, like <laughs> not something I saw every day. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little, little crazy. Um, uh, there were sometimes kids would fight the staff members there. They had these big plastic chairs that I used to think they were heavy. Every time I watch TV, I have to grab these things and seen kids just bug out, like pick up the chairs and start throwing them at the staff and stuff. Like it was crazy, man. So, so I guess some people just didn't have control of their, their emotions and stuff, I guess. Sounds like, nah, de- definitely not. There were a lot, a lot of them were on medication too. And, um, no, of course, they're, they, even though this is a juvenile facility, they're still doing crazy things. Like there were staff members bringing in drugs for them and stuff like that, too. A couple of times people tried to get me to do drugs. And I said, no, I, I didn't want to mess up, with, mess with anything like that. You know, it was still a juvenile, but it was it was still jail. You know, people still doing stuff. Um, I shouldn't. This is, this is funny too. Uh, talking about computers, you know, I they did have computers there. So. Part of me, you know, you're a kid in jail. You 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 have to go to school. You know, they don't just lock you up and your education stops. You know, you it's still obligated to um, <laughs> get an get an education. So of course, I get put in classes. I have all the classes like a high school would have. You know, there were teachers from the outside that came in. There was like a science class. Uh, there was a gym class, an English class, all those, and they had computers with Wi-Fi. So, of course, you know, I'm in the science class, for instance, and there's a memo that gets put out to do not let me use any computers at all, like zero. Do not even let me use one supervised. And seeing other kids on the computers is just like, oh, man, like I wish I could just like go over there. I just want to like download some music or off like Napster because I, I think Napster was gone by then, actually. That, that was tough. And uh, it was actually the science teacher there. He was really... um guy was like really really cool guy he let me use the computer a couple times for some classwork and i i I didn't violate that at all he always told me like hey sit in the area that's like away from the window so like people don't see you just just do the work man and whatever you know if you get in trouble i'll tell them i told you to do it i'm like okay cool so I, i actually to be honest with you i did use computers in there and the internet but it was uh you know i didn't want to mess that up you know, here's this teacher, like, let me do that. But it still felt kind of cool, you know, being able to use Google while you're in jail. Although it's, you know, it wasn't anything malicious. Interesting. So you, once you got out, had you graduated at that point? Yeah, while I was there, I actually, um, I, I ended up uh, taking a GED class while I was there. I ended up getting taken out of all the school once I got that. So yeah, when I got out, it, it was great. You know, I, I at least, you know, went in and got that, you know, I was, exercising a little bit so i kind of felt good i wondered i'm trying to remember when i got out uh it was august 2006 i didn't last long i, I was out like four or five months and went right back in <laughs> not so much the same stuff that i was doing back then like it wasn't so much about like aol and like pranking and stuff like that it was uh more about like a, a, we had a financial thing like a credit card and buying things and buying clothes and just basically that so, uh, yeah, I, I got out of jail just to put a long story short. I got out, um, started talking to people online again that I, you know, ha- hadn't gone to jail and got credit cards and got a, com- got my own computer again, got my own phone and started dealing with, um, you know, actually using cloned physical credit cards inside of stores. Um, that, that got kind of, kind of nutty. <laughs> yeah. I think with, with that, there's like, 
Yeah, there's the cloning. And then, so so you actually went in and did the purchases yourself. And from when I was reading, it looked like it was just bad luck. I think I got caught. Yeah, yeah. There was um the one that's on online that pertains to like uh, the thing with me and my cousin. That was that was a little later. Uh, unfortunately, like I've I've had too many times going in and out. Like sometimes I even forget like so, so many things. But uh, I got out in '06 and basically like went on a credit card fraud thing. Um went into a stop and shop to go buy a gift card and basically got surrounded by a detective saying like, what are you doing with these gift cards? And ended up uh, getting sent back. <laughs> and then, so I, I got sent back, you know, so I got out August. I'm out until I think it was like January and I get sent right back in for nine months on a violation. Got back out, I think October. So this is like October of 07. So I'm out, start doing the same thing again. You know, actually, the thing that you had read online, the thing with my cousin where we were going into the store and all that. So I had another same thing. April 2008, get raided by the state police. You know, they kick the kick the door in and stuff, go upstairs, find credit cards everywhere, laptops, Wi-Fi antennas, SIM cards, cell phones, get everything. Then it's same thing again, right back in. And geez, I feel, it's such a long story. So that happens. But then, in 2013, it's it's not it's not credit cards, right? It's there's like the the Twitter stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, it changed up a little bit. Yeah, I, I I'll be you know basically what happened. So you know I, I go in for this violation. I get out June of 2011. Didn't take long. Got right back into the same thing. You know I I just come home. I'm an adult now. Um, I'm actually not living at home with my parents. Um, like you know I need to get myself situated. I got a job um, as a dishwasher, so I'm doing that. But on the side, I'm doing the credit card fraud, so I kind of can, you know, get myself together and get myself a little car and start to get, you know, buy clothes and all this stuff. So you go to go into like 2012. Um, 2012 was a really like crazy, 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 crazy year. Like I don't even I'll say like sometimes I don't even know how I'm alive at this point. But uh, 2012 was pretty insane. Where um a started using substances and started, you know, experimenting with things. Uh, 2012, there was like, that's when the whole synthetic marijuana thing came up and uh, came out and everyone was smoking that stuff. It's supposed to be like a synthetic analog related to marijuana, but it's a little different. I don't want to get like too overboard, but basically like I started uh, using, using drugs, uh, opiates and other things too. And, um, Kind of like I want to say it definitely like fueled the crimes that came later. Talking when we're talking about like Twitter and accessing the state police and stuff like that, more so because like when I when I'm under the influence, I really wasn't thinking too much about like anything. It was just like you kind of feel invincible. You know, anything that alters your mind state is going to make you feel a little like less anxious. You know, you're not you're not so much thinking about getting caught all the time. You know, especially if you're high. But uh, yeah, two, 2012 was really like a whole year full of partying, going to the club, hitting the bar like every I mean, we were going out like every weekend uh, doing credit card fraud. Um, it's going like really, really crazy with stuff. And at the end of 2012, I, I got I got paranoid from using so many substances, mainly like stimulants and um, started thinking like people were following me. And that, that actually sent me off um, on a whole thing to say, like, you know what? I'm going to use my skills to find out if I am really paranoid or I'm right. You know, I want to know if somebody's following me. So yeah, I 
you know, set up a little mission. Like, okay, I'm going to get into the police. Like, I'm going to figure this shit out instead of like being nervous every day. So uh, just to put it as brief as I can, uh, went online, did a little bit of research. I mean, this is all like stuff that I found on Google. I'm like reading about like, I couldn't even realize like why this stuff's out there, but I did a bunch of Google searches for like Massachusetts state police, this, 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 and found documents that were published that talk about the exact name of the tool that the cops would use to search for warrants and stuff like that. So just doing Google searches. And then I find some domains that are connected to like the criminal history board and grab the IP from their public facing site, did some IP scanning. And then I, at some point I ended up finding uh login pages to this tool. Like there was one to search inmates that were in state custody. There was one for looking up warrants. There's one for look, uh, there's like a central repository for every incident report filed in the entire state related to like police stuff. Like, I don't know, like disturbance calls or informants given information. Like all this was on this one site. IP scan it. I find it. I actually guess a login. I literally like guessed the password to someone that had access to the system, the state police system. I'll tell you like, man, that was probably like, I don't know. Like, I think for the first time in my life, like that moment in 2012, like when I was trying to get into the state police and I'm at the login screen and I, the guy, this is funny. The the password to this account that I got was the same as the username. Like when I signed in. Just like T-Mobile. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. And it's, it's, it just baffles me. And the, the person's login that I had, it wasn't, it didn't belong to a member of law enforcement. So this, the, the state police's tools they didn't, it's not an internal tool. They didn't, you know, have their own people create it. They outsourced. It was a third party company. So the login that I got was like read and write access to everything in this tool. So, and this was one of the like programmers. So basically like they make this system and then they give, give it to the state police. And then this programmer's login is still valid, which didn't make much sense to me because like, you know, the stuff I, I mean everything was in there man like i could create i could designate a person as a sex offender i could undesignate them like I, I mean everything i could see warrants as they came out live like i mean this is serious stuff but the moment that i got in there like when i typed that password in and i clicked the login button and i saw it say like basically the login was successful i had like a a, a drop down box and it said select the role that you're in and you click this box and it's just got a list of every agency cuz this guy was one of the programmers he's got access to be a, you know a different access levels and you could, i could pick anything when i saw that screen i was just like holy shit like i i i just like froze for a second i'm thinking like this is bad like this is sensitive like I'm just sitting at that screen, looking at it, thinking to myself in the back of my head, like, man, this is definitely going to get investigated. Like, I know this is hot stuff. Like, if anybody finds out I'm in this, like, someone's going to be on my line. Someone's going to be on them when they realize this was breached. Luckily, I mean, I was using a 4G wireless card. I uh, wasn't connecting from my home. I was kind of beyond that stupidity. You know, I wasn't doing that anymore. Uh, so I I did feel a little bit, you know, smarter. Um I, I used the system uh, to, to basically like check up on myself. What I would do was uh, like, I, I wouldn't go in there and search for my own name. Like I wouldn't click on warrants and go to the advanced search and put in my first name and last name because I'm, you know, from what I've been through, I already know like that's going to be logged. So I would go in there and just pull up a master list of the warrants and just, you know, do control F, like put it, copy it over to notepad and control F, look at my last name. Okay. I'm not in there. Nobody wants me. That's good. 
But um, yeah, I had access to that tool for like several months and there, there was actually nobody knew about it. Like nobody was tipped off by me signing into that account or anything. Um, and I lost access to it because the whole system got revamped, moved over to like a single sign on where I think there, it was like IP only or something like that. Like they had to be on a certain IP range because all the cops have uh, like Wi-Fi cards. And um, I could no longer access it, but it wasn't because of the breach. It was mainly because, uh, like I said, they switched it. So this is 2012 going into 2013. I'm be a little more specific here. So February 13th. Yeah, that was a crazy month. All in like the time span of one month, uh, probably in the wrong order. But so in February, uh, my granddad had died on my mother's side. For people that don't know, my mother had died when I was five. So I primarily was, you know, raised by my dad, who unfortunately wasn't home too much because uh, he had to work and stuff. So I, you know, I kind of grew up with like no supervision and no guidance. So you know, anyway, losing my mom, you know, you know that that's something I think that affected me for a very long time. And then knowing that my grandfather on my mother's side was gone, I kind of felt like, oh, geez, like I lost another part of my mom that was here. So that that was really really hard for me. I remember, you know, getting the news on the phone, and I was just like, man, I, I cried. I was that was tough. So you know, I I deal with that. You know, I'm like, you know, obviously life goes on. You know, I'm not gonna do anything stupid. And uh, the next thing that happens is um, my dog. I had a golden retriever that um, had since I was a kid. I mean, this we had this dog went through everything, man. He was there for all three raids when the feds came. You know, my my dog was there the whole way. Like I love this dog. He, best dog in the world and uh he he ended up uh getting cancer and we had to put him down and you know there, there wasn't that many people or that i felt too close to i mean like i just mentioned you know my mother's been dead uh, i've been in and out of jail like I, there's nobody really close to me but my dog was you know his unconditional love you know i don't know he my dog felt like a member of the family so losing him that was like the, the second thing that kind of uh was a little devastating in my month third thing that happened was um again february at some point uh we had a really big snowstorm and i lost power at my house however i decided to go outside and go to my friend's house that was like 10 blocks up the street who had power because why why would i do that in a snowstorm right i because i need to charge my computer i need to be online you know i just <laughs> i couldn't deal with not being online you know so i go travel to my friends and charge my batteries over there um there for i don't know a couple hours and then i go back home Park the car. It's still snowing. I actually got stuck, but the front wheel drive, I was able to get out of it. So I made it home in one piece. But um, walking into my house, we entered through the back door. First thing I noticed that was weird was the back door was left open. Nobody leaves that door open. So I'm like, oh, that's weird. Maybe somebody didn't shut the door. So I, I go in, I shut this door. So I'm walking up to the second floor where I live. There's the stairs are like really, really wet. I'm like, what the F? Like, what the F, man? This is this is crazy. Like I could slip and fall. So I'm going up there and I get to my door, you know, I have my key in my hand and, and the door is broken. I'm like, Oh, Oh God. No. Like, so I just push the door open. I go in there and I'm looking around and there is stuff everywhere. Stuff from the kitchen, like groceries, canned food, like everything's all on the floor. I immediately go into my bedroom where I have a safe with some money in it. And that, that whole, whole safe is gone. I'm like, no, what the heck is going on? There was some jewelry I had that was gone. Um, so house gets robbed. House got robbed. Now at this point, I call my friend whose house I just went to, and uh, I'm 
talking to him. I'm like, dude, I don't know what the hell is going on. Like someone just broke into my house. I don't even feel safe here. He's like, what are you serious? So I, I'm trying to figure out what to do. And thankfully I had my computer with me because if that computer was there, I would have been asked out. I would have lost everything that I was you know, doing all that bad stuff. Although I kind of wish I, it was taken because if it was taken, I might not have gotten in trouble. But so I ended up going to my parents' house for a little bit. I stayed there because I didn't feel safe at home. Uh, in, in between everything, I'm talking to my landlord. I'm like, I don't feel safe going back there. So here's where Twitter comes in. Next time on AOL Underground. Crazy thing is it's the day that I defaced the Burger King Twitter feed was the anniversary of the Paris Hilton thing. And it just kind of like lined up with that. Very weird. Very, very strange because the same exact behavior on like the same date, you know, it's kind of scary in a sense too. Oh, <laughs>